Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, you guys are welcome to have a seat. Good morning, Church of the Redeemer. If we have not met yet, I'm Melissa Lupowitz. I'm our youth ministry director here, and I'm so glad to see you all. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. Um, you know, last time I preached, the power went off. So here's hoping that doesn't happen again. But you know the deal. If it does, we just keep going because that's what we do. Um, you know, when you're a kid, or let's be honest, when you're this, this many, um, and sometimes you really want a word from the Lord, and you're not really in a certain place that you're reading necessarily, and you, you open the word, and you're like, let me just see what the Lord has for me today, and you land on a scripture, and you're like, oh man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That was so perfect. Or maybe, like some of us, this happened. You land on a part, and you're like, well, I don't even know what that means. Or what? What? Are you serious? That's, I don't know how to even take this. Maybe this is about something else and I just don't get it. So our lectionary keeps that from, you know, pretty much just being a surprise of what passage we're going to be on. But today, as you might have heard in our gospel reading, there are times that we get these tricky messages, these tricky passages to know how to interpret or understand. So today I am going to be preaching on our gospel passage. So feel free to go ahead and turn to Matthew 15 if you have your Bible. There's some in the seat backs, or if you want to get out your device. Um, but I am really looking forward to going into this passage because even though it is a trickier one, I feel like the Lord has some really beautiful truths for us in store. Um, I already read it, I know. So um, I know y'all are kind of like, wait, what? But we are going to read it again. But this time I would invite you to listen. If you do a better job listening by following along with the text, you're great to do that. If you can envision and imagine something a little bit better by closing your eyes, I would invite you just to close your eyes and listen. And I'm going to reread it so that we can kind of enter into the scene imaginatively today with our mind's eye. So starting in verse 21, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, Is it not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You can open your eyes. Now let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room. We hear that Jesus compares this woman to a dog, which this passage over the years has gotten a ton of pushback. Is Jesus racist? Is he being a jerk? Just plain rude and condescending. But here's what we know. We know that Jesus never sinned. We know that he was fully God and fully man and that he would never 
be a bully to someone or mean to someone, especially someone who is crying out for mercy in need of compassion. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's love. And so Jesus knew the plan, that God's plan to show mercy to all people, all nations, from forever to forever. And before anything else, we have to enter into this text with that baseline. Dallas Willard says, never believe anything bad about God. And I think sometimes in our day and age, we're really tempted to believe bad about God. And we could even have a skewed perspective coming into our gospel going, that's that's not the Jesus that I know and love to be rude and condescending. So then if that is true, that we never believe anything bad about God, and we know that Jesus knew these truths of scripture from ages past, then we know that there's something else at play here. Something else is going on in this passage. And I'm so excited to look into it with you guys today. So in the verses just before where we find our gospel reading today, Jesus and his disciples had just been scolded by the Pharisees for not washing their hands before they had eaten, which again was breaking another one of their rules that was kind of leading to holiness and godliness. Another rule that Jesus knew was not really a part of the rules. Jesus knew was not really what mattered at all. So Jesus is trying to remind the Pharisees and his disciples that it's not what is on the outside that defiles us, but what is on the inside that reveals the heart. And the disciples are trying to get it, and they're like, Lord, teach us what this means. But it's clear in verse 12, if you're following along above our passage, in verse 12, the disciples are actually more concerned with what the Pharisees think about them than what Jesus is actually teaching. And so we hear the disciples say, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard you say that? Jesus tries to explain it again because he is so gracious. And it's not that it's it's not on the outside that what matters, it's what comes out of the heart, but the disciples just aren't getting it. And this is where I would say, I don't think the lesson finished there. You see in your scripture, in the Bible, you see this big jump, right? To the next passage. And there might even be a heading that says, the faith of a Canaanite woman. It's a whole new section. But when Matthew would have penned this gospel, it was just the very next sentence. The very next thing that Matthew tells us is that Jesus is going on to this new area. And then I believe that what we actually find in the next passages is this display of what Jesus really was trying to teach his disciples. When we see in verse 21 that Jesus is headed into another area, the region that he is now in would have been a very non-Jewish area. It would have been filled with non-believers and people that don't really know or respect the people of God at all, the Jewish people. They wouldn't have known the teachings and the lineage. They wouldn't have really necessarily liked Jewish people and Jewish people would not have liked them. There was a ton of racial and ethnic divide and dissension that went back between the Jewish people and the Canaanites for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so then all of a sudden, this Canaanite woman is coming and shouting at Jesus and his disciples. And already in this day and age, in this time and culture, she had three strikes against her. First strike, she's a woman. Second strike, she's shouting. Third strike, 
She's talking to men who are Jewish and she is not either of those things. So she really didn't have any right to even be addressing them, much less shouting at them. But this woman doesn't seem to care about all of those inappropriate things. She is that desperate to go fling herself in front of Jesus and his disciples. She comes out and she first addresses Jesus with the most respectful greeting, acknowledging to him and to those around that, yes, she does in fact know who he is. She asks him and says to him, Lord, son of David, which also shows that she knew about his lineage and is honoring him as she approaches him. But then we see the next verse in verse 23, but he did not answer her at all. Have you ever gotten the courage to say something to someone and you're really kind of nervous about it and you, you work yourself up and you decide to pull out your phone and you decide that you're going to text a message, because that's a little easier, and you formulate it and you think about how you're going to say it and then you hit send and you're like, oh, can't take it back, it's out there now. And there's no reply and you're like, oh, have they just not seen it? Are they mad? Should I couch it with an emoji? Like, you know, and you're nervous or take it a little further back for some of you in the room. Do you remember when you used to take the phone cord all the way out from the house into the garage and you keep going and it's still extended to the receiver and you're trying to get the emoji and then you kind of say what you want to say and the other line is silent. And you're like, did we get cut off? Is there a disconnection? Are they just waiting to respond? And so there's this moment where there's silence. And we don't see that Jesus responds right away. But what we do see is that the disciples respond. And we see their response. The disciples came and begged him, or in another translation it says, urged him, saying, send this woman away, for she keeps crying out after us. Can't I can just imagine them kind of being like, Jesus, she's really cramping our style. You know, we're trying to kind of move through here and like get past all these people we don't really like and don't really like us. And Jesus finally then says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And I can almost hear the disciples congratulating him on his response. Like, yeah, see, we're not here for people like you. This isn't really, he's not here for, for you, like you. But Jesus never said that, did he? He states what is true, that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lost sheep. Now, I'm a communication studies geek, and I was, that was my major, and I kind of like it a lot, clearly. But one of the first things that you learn in Intro to Communication is that anywhere from 70 to 93% of communication is nonverbal. Did you catch that? 70 to 93% is nonverbal. So that's why sometimes when you can't see the response of someone on the other line, you're freaking out because you don't know what they're thinking when they said that statement. Thus the invention of emojis. Thank you to the powers that be. But the thing is, is that you don't see Jesus's nonverbal communication here. We don't see whether or not he kept walking, whether or not he stopped to look her in the eye, whether he's smiling, whether he's looking around. We don't see any of that. But what we do see 
is that he's engaging in this discussion with her. And I can't help but think about how almost in every interaction, if not every interaction that Jesus has with someone who comes to him that needs something or wants something from him, he always engages with this conversation and communication with them, not just for the sake of talking with them, but to reveal what's in their heart. He always asks them something, or maybe he says something to reveal something and pulls something out of them to reveal what this person is really longing for or what their heart is really showing. And this situation is no different. This woman comes and kneels before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answers, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. To which she responds, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This woman, this woman is not offended even at the consideration of being called a dog. Let's be honest, we would be offended. She is not apologetic for what she's chasing after. She is not holding back her request. She is strong and she is courageous. And she's not looking at all the people around her worrying what they're thinking. She knows that if she could even be a dog in the household of God, that would be an amazing place to be. Now, please hear me. I do not think that Jesus was actually speaking condescending to her, claiming that she was a dog. I think instead what he's actually doing is speaking kind of tongue-in-cheek rhetorically to the people around the way that they would have thought a Pharisee or a teacher of the law may have spoken. I think he's saying something to pull out the real response of her heart. But as we have seen, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they don't always understand this message of the kingdom of God. They wouldn't have gotten it necessarily. We just saw that a few verses before. This upside down kingdom of God that Jesus is installing before their very eyes. They didn't always get it. And they didn't always know what he was trying to say. But this woman knows that Jesus is a teacher and a healer, that this God is the only one who can save her and her daughter. And she is not about to let anything get between receiving her portion of mercy or her daughter's. And we hear Jesus answering her with such joy, oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus is using the faith of this beautiful soul to show the disciples and every person around the very illustration of what he had been trying to teach them moments before. He's trying to show that everyone is welcome, that there is no barrier to receiving the mercy of God. It is not what is on the outside that defiles you. It is what is coming out of your mouth that reveals your true heart. And did you hear what came out of her mouth? It was praise and thanksgiving. So just a minute, I want to compare these two situations that we have. So if you're a sports person, you know, you might think in this corner, we have the Pharisees, the religious leaders, it's the scrolls and the robes from the city of God, Jerusalem, you know, with the lineage of coming from their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on and on and on. And in this corner, we have a Canaanite woman 
with a demon-possessed daughter, being culturally inappropriate, coming from, you guessed it, a cursed land of non-believers. You know, it seems kind of disproportionate of who would be the favored one, right? And yet, isn't that what we always see with Jesus? Is that every time we see a parable, he has this lesson of surprise with it. Every time he teaches something, he's saying, it's not the one that you would have thought. We see this portrayal of complete surrender in this woman's faith. And rather than hearing faith and belief in God found in the people we would expect to hear it from, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law themselves, we find it instead being proclaimed by a Canaanite woman with nothing but crumbs to feast on. And those crumbs are enough. Can't you just picture it? Can't you see the disciples' unbelief in her belief? Like, what? And then the truth dawning on them as they begin to grasp what is happening. Can't you see the shock and amazement from when Jesus commends her great faith? With one fell swoop, Jesus has gifted this Canaanite woman with honor and dignity and has given a beautiful embodied display of faith to those all around him, to his disciples and to anyone there watching. Just who this kingdom is for. It is for all nations, every tribe and tongue, every person that would receive this mercy and this gift of grace. Jesus knew the plan of God was not just for the Israelites. He knew the scriptures that foretold and prophesied all the way back to the Garden of Eden, his goodness to the people that he had made, his promise to Abraham to be a father, not just of a nation, but a father of nations, a multitude. When God changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham, it actually means father of a multitude. He says in Genesis, behold to Abraham, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. See, this woman didn't just happen to change Jesus's mind. Jesus didn't just somehow all of a sudden decide to show mercy when he got irritated. That is not the nature of our God. His nature is to show mercy. He delights, it says in Micah 7, 18, to show mercy. Jesus knew that this was a plan from the beginning, that this woman, as well as, yes, all of us are part of these lost sheep of Israel. It was not just for the Israelite people. And so here he is using this example to display this beauty of his kingdom being for anyone and everyone. I love seeing what scripture lessons are um, paired together in our lectionary each week. And I couldn't help but love how Psalm 67 actually foretells this exact thing happening that we see in the gospel lesson today. Um, I'm not sure if it's, if it's oh, okay. So um, in our, if you want to turn to Psalm 67, and I can also read it. Um, but in Psalm 67, we see the Lord doing just this with this 
this woman's life. So the first phrase says, may God be merciful unto us and bless us. Show us the light of his countenance and be merciful unto us. That is exactly what the Lord does here in person with this woman. He is gracious to her. He blesses her so that salvation could be known to her and to her nation. It says, let your way be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. We see that. This is for her nation. Beginning even then, Jesus was just there, but beginning even in those moments, this being able to happen. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Indeed, let all the peoples praise you. All, this woman being one of them. Oh, let the nations rejoice and be glad, for you shall judge the peoples righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. In um, another translation, and you might have it in yours, it says that God would judge with equity. And he judges with such beautiful equity. He's not a favorite kind of guy. He says any that would come. And he does this for her right then and there. He judges her with equity and righteousness. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then shall the earth bring forth her increase. And God, even our own God, shall give us his blessing. Well, she's showing us that she could be considered one of his people as he was her God. From even in this moment, that it would be taken to her country, to her and her daughter. And you know, the people surrounding, seeing this faith lived out by this woman. We see the land of Canaan even then yielding a harvest of faith as God chooses to bless this worldwide family he's making. God shall bless us and all the ends of the world shall fear him. The goodness of God's kingdom is not just for us. It is for the world. It is for all who believe and come to him and profess with their lips and believe in their hearts that their lives with their lives, that he is the Lord. And so today, as we, as we wrap up, I'd love to encourage us to be mindful of a few things that I think we learned from this faithful woman and how she seeks after Jesus. The first thing that I would say is, may we be willing to throw off anything that hinders us from coming to God. Would we be willing to come when it maybe feels inappropriate or we feel like we're not ready to really be seen by God, that we need to get some things right in us first, or we're going to get there eventually. No, throw all of that off. We just need to come to his feet. That we wouldn't be worried about what people think about us or being afraid to look too bold or not bold enough. That we wouldn't feel like, this lie that would tell us his grace isn't really for us. It might be for everybody else, but it's not for us. Or his household isn't big enough. He doesn't really want people like me. That is all not true. We hear over and over and over again that this is for you. It's for me. His grace is for all. So let's be quick to throw off anything that might keep us from coming to him. Second, may we not be offended by our own frailty but instead see our humility as a gift to offer to God. I'm so astounded that this woman, when she was kind of having this pulled out of her, 
her praises, her willingness to not be offended, but to just see the gift that God was still offering her, to be counted as a part of his household, to be seen with this honor to be a part of his people. So let us not be offended by our own frailty and weakness, but see our humility as a gift that helps bring us to this place of surrender. He doesn't ask for big showy prayers or long lineages or education or money or whatever our minds would tell us would somehow make us more worthy. He just wants us. We are worthy because he says we are his. He has made us worthy. May we see our neediness as that very gateway to his kingdom. And then just like this woman, may we ask today, right here and now, may, may we be so bold to ask for this blessing from God that we would say, Lord, bless us and make us a blessing so, so that all the ends of the earth will know him. It's not just for us, but it is for us and for the ends of the earth. May we know that he has called us to receive from him and be willing to do whatever it takes to bring ourselves to his feet today. Lord, give us faith like this woman. Give us the humility to receive whatever you give us. But may we come with boldness, knowing that you have opened the door to your kingdom and have asked us to come in. May we know that we are participants in this fellowship. And might today be a day that you would say to us, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire, not because of what we have done, but because of who we have believed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.